Hey, thank you for joining us. I'm Jared Kirk, lead pastor of Renewal Church. At the top of the service today, Nicole invited you to our free financial seminar that's happening later tonight, and I want to make sure that you're a part of it. If you want to be a part of it, here's what I've always found in my life, is that followers of Jesus want to be generous. We have a desire to be generous, but the question is, do our disciplines match our desire? And that's where budgeting and finances and all that kind of stuff comes into play. So we want to help you get that stuff in order. It's free tonight. Here's what you do. If you want to come, check into the service right now, and this afternoon we'll send you the link so you can join us for that free one-hour thing. I'll be there. I want to see you there. Hey, today we are continuing our series, Unstuck. I look forward to seeing you in person soon. Follow the church on social media. Read the emails for the next couple weeks because we are going to update you on when we're reopening. It's coming, but we're kind of making that decision week to week right now. Hey, I got a great message for you today, but I've just had this thing stirring in my soul where I've been so hungry for God lately. And so I don't normally pray at the beginnings, but I, I just feel the Spirit saying we got we to gotta pray. So would you join me in prayer? God, we need you. We need you. Our country needs you, our church needs you, our city needs you. God, we need you. And we claim your promises, God, that you say that when you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. God, we are seeking you, we want you. We don't wanna do another year on our own strength. We don't wanna do another year on our own power. We wanna do, we wanna see you move in miraculous ways. We wanna see you do more abundantly above what we could ask for or even imagine. God, forgive us for having too small of a faith. In such a great God, would you meet us here today and do something special in us through your spirit in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, now, when I was a young man in high school down in South Florida, I played football, and I had a very important position on the team. I played left out. I was, <laughs> I was too small. They wouldn't really let me play on the field, and I'm just kidding about that. I really, what I really played was left bench. I just, they wouldn't let me on the field. I weighed 98 pounds. I never got any bigger. All the other guys kept growing, but I didn't, I didn't keep growing. And I knew, and it, because I was small, the coaches didn't spend any time with me. I don't know. Some of you can relate. Some of you are great athletes and have no idea what I'm talking about. But for us average people out there, the coaches spend time with the great athletes. So I had this problem. I knew I had to fix it. And so here's what I came up with. I found out that one of the coaches, he was nicknamed El Diablo. And they nicknamed him that because he was horribly mean as a coach and also because he was the school's Spanish teacher, which is hilarious. But I found out that every morning before football practice at 6 a.m., he would run sprints on the football track. And anybody who wanted to join him could show up and join him for sprints. And so I had nothing else to lose. So I would, in the hot, humid air of 6 a.m. in South Florida, I'd show up and run these sprints. And it worked. After... After sprints, coming to sprints for a little while, at the end, he would kind of come up to me and say, hey, what's going on? He would talk to me about my game and coach me and help me get better. And over time, I actually got on the field a little bit. I was never big enough to be any good, but my game improved because here's one of those things I learned from that experience. If I wanted to grow, if I was going to improve as a player, I needed to put myself in a position where I could benefit from the coaches, where I could benefit from the people who knew what I was doing. I had to put myself in a position where I could receive from them so that I could grow. Hey, let's not talk about sports anymore. Let's talk about something important. When it comes to your spiritual life, 
You've got to grow. There's no such thing as neutral in the spiritual life. You're either making progress and you're moving forward or you're slipping backwards. You've got to grow. And in fact, we've got to get unstuck because 2020 built up so many of these habits in our lives where we were responding from these sinful habits and patterns in our lives. And we just got stuck all over again. And we got to get unstuck. Well, here's the thing. You've got to put yourself in a position where people who can help you grow spiritually, where you can benefit from them. God has given pastors to us to help us grow. God's given us pastors to provide God's word to us, to protect the church, and to to lead us forward into spiritual growth. But here's the thing. You have to put yourself in a position where you could benefit from your pastor's ministry. I, I can't do that for you. You've got to do that. You've got to put yourself in that position. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And, I, and as we go, I'm going to share about the pastors that I have had and that I still have who are changing my life too. And I hope that's going to be encouragement to you. So that's why we're looking today in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And like I said, we're in this series called Unstuck, talking about breaking bad habits to grow spiritually. And our, our church, you see, Renewal Church exists to see renewal in your life and renewal in the city of Boston, because that's Jesus' specialty. He takes broken, busted, stuck, stuck in sin, stuck in shame, stuck in guilt things, and he makes them new. But you've got to get God's grace into your life, and pastors are a big part of how that happens. So let's look at 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. I'm going to read it to you, and then I'll point some things out. It says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, this text was written by Peter, who was one of the earliest followers of Jesus. Peter, uh, Peter shared the first sermon ever given <laughs> in the Christian church. Peter founded the first Christian church, and so he became a very influential leader as all these little churches, these groups of Christians were, were popping up all over the ancient world. And he wrote a couple of letters. We have 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And they weren't written to a specific place. They were intended to be circulated amongst all the churches of a, re- of a region. And when he does this, he's giving instructions to leaders, which the Bible calls elders, which was th- that the elder was what they called the office of a leader in the early church. And the work that these elders do is shepherding. Now, in Latin, the word for a shepherd is pastor. So if you've heard, you know, a pastor of a church, it's just the Latin word meaning shepherd. It's someone who shepherds the flock of God. So that's who Peter was talking to. And I want to point out a few things from this text for you. And here's the first thing. Pastors protect the flock. Pastors protect the flock. The word translated watching over them in the text today means to look carefully to beware. It doesn't just mean to survey and say, oh, what a beautiful flock. It means, no, I'm watching out because I'm watching for danger, for anything that could hurt the flock. It includes protection. Pastors have a responsibility to protect their people. And you might ask, protect them from what? 
and I would say anything that could destroy a church, protect them from false teachers, protect them from heresies, protect them from divisive people, provide them with spiritual covering. Destructive people exist in churches. There's a few of them who are there on purpose, and those people are extraordinarily dangerous. But there's even more of them who don't mean to be destructive, but they're operating out of their hurt and they're wounded. And instead of responding to that in faith, they're responding to that in sin, and they can be deadly to a church. Acts 20, 29 through 31 says this. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. A good pastor is looking out for wolves at all times. A good pastor has some teeth. He should be meek and humble like Jesus. He's got to be gentle with the sheep, but deadly with the wolves. You know, with my children, I'm gentle. But if you hurt my kids, you're not going to experience my gentle side. That's how pastors have to be because they protect the flock. Pastors also have to protect their church against gossip and division. Um, Peter wrote our text today. He had a contemporary named Paul, and Paul also started churches, and so he gave a lot of um, a lot of leadership advice to those churches as well. And he gave advice to a young leader named Titus in a book called Titus, and here's what Paul said to him. He said, warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time, and after that, have nothing to do with them. When it came to divisive, divisive people, it wasn't three strikes and you're out. It was two strikes and you're out. It was you get a warning, you get a warning, and you're gone. Because pastors have to protect their flock from divisive people. Weak pastors tolerate divisive behavior, but faithful pastors nip it in the bud. And pastors protect their church also from the attacks of Satan by covering you in prayer. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan wants to destroy your life, your witness, your eternal security, your joy. He is actively looking for an opportunity to ruin you. And when you're a part of a church, when you become a member of a church, you come under the spiritual covering of elders who are praying for you by name, praying for spiritual protection in your life. But when you aren't a member of a church, you lack that spiritual covering and protection and your easy prey. You know, a sheep that's a part of a flock is protected. A sheep that wanders off on its own is wolf bait. So pastors protect the flock. Here's the second thing we see in this text. Pastors provide for the flock. Our text today says that God's flock is under your care. And it also says, it, in, it instructs the elders to be shepherds. And that word be shepherds literally means feed the flock. Pastors feed their people the word of God. The Bible, the scriptures pointing to Jesus. We carefully interpret it. Pastors have to apply it to their people's lives. I mentioned Peter's contemporary Paul. And here's what he said to the Ephesian church when he was giving a farewell address to the elders there. He said in Acts 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. So Paul knew what Peter, what Peter knew, that, that pastors have to feed their people the word of God. And people need pastors who are faithful to that word. 
And in fact, Paul says the same thing in another place. He's giving instructions to another one of his young mentors. Instead of Titus, it's Timothy this time. And he gives, this is just before Paul died. And so this is his big, hey, you got to listen because this is the last thing I'm ever going to get to say to you. And here's what he told this young, this young church leader, Timothy. He said, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Now, I cannot think of a more serious way to start a sentence than that. I mean, it's literally, it's like, hey, hey, Timothy, considering everything God's done for you, considering that God's coming back again, considering that God is gonna judge your life, considering the seriousness of who God is and his calling that you've been given, I am giving you this instruction as a church leader. What does he say? He says, say, Timothy, you need to know the latest leadership principles. Does he say, Timothy, listen, you, you know, you need to be a great counselor. You got to help people dig out their inner child and just get in touch with their emotions. No, here's what he says. In light of all of this, Timothy, I charge you, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Faithful pastors provide the word for the flock. They do it on Sundays. They do it online. They do it from house to house. They do it in coffee shops. They do it in Bible studies. They do it in staff meetings. They do it in counseling sessions. They do it in casual conversations. But pastors provide the word for the flock. Here's the third thing I want to point out to you from this text. Pastors lead the flock. Pastors lead the flock. There is an element of leadership in Peter's instructions. Pastors, the pastors are watching over. The people are under their care. Peter says, don't lord it over people. So, so pastors lead. Just as a shepherd leads the sheep out in the morning, as he takes them to the green grass to feed, and then he leads them over to the water to drink, and then he leads them back into safety at night. So pastors lead their people. Pastors are not building caretakers. They are not employees of the church. I work for the church, but I'm not the maintenance man of the church. Pastors lead the church. Faithful pastors have a vision for the future. They're not just focused on maintaining the legacy of the past or upkeep of the building. Pastors have places they're trying to go and, and, and ways in which they're trying to help their people grow and people in the community they're trying to reach because faithful pastors lead. Hebrews 13, 17, which we actually don't know exactly who the author of Hebrews was, says this, have confidence in your leaders. In other words, trust your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. There's some really practical advice, isn't there? Hebrews says you got to have confidence in your leaders. you got to submit to their authority. Now, for me personally, this is our elder board at our church. I submit to their authority. And, and listen, listen. I don't submit to their authority because I have to. I submit to their authority because I need it in my life. I need spiritual covering in my life. I need people who pray for me. I need people who put that spiritual protection on around me. I need people who are investing in me, who are speaking truth into my life. I need pastors in my life too. 
And I ha- I've pastored for a long time. And so pretty regularly when someone new comes to the church, you know, sometimes it'll be, they've been a Christian for a longer time and they'll come up and they'll say, well, whose authority are you under? And I say, well, the elders of the church. And I say, okay, now, are you ready to join the church as a member? They say, well, I don't know that membership is biblical. And I go, listen, listen, if I need it, you need it too. We all need that leadership in our lives. Now, you might think that this opens the way for abuse. And Lord knows there are many pastors that have abused their position, and many people have been hurt by that deeply, which is why, even in the text we're looking at today, healthy boundaries are given for church leadership. Just in the text today, Peter warns that pastors must be willing servants, not begrudging. There's no dragging your feet. I once, I once heard from an older pastor, he was close to retirement, and he described it like this. He said, you know when you drive down the highway and you just see another, another telephone pole whiz past your car? That's how every Sunday feels to me. I'm just waiting for retirement. But Peter says, no, 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 not begrudging, but willing servants. He says, not in it for the money. Now, man, how many people have been hurt by pastors who were in it for the money? So I have a rule that I operate out of personally. This is my conviction. I can't speak for any other pastors. I think that pastors should get paid according to about what the public school system pays. So, I get paid between what a school teacher makes and what a vice principal makes. And I, and I hope that seems fair to you. Because pastors aren't in it for the money. It says not domineering, which means that leadership style from pastors, there's a lot more pull than there is push. There's a lot more inviting than there is telling and commanding, not domineering. It says they have to lead by their personal example. Pastors have to live it first. And then lastly, and this is the biggest one in terms of the text, it says, pastors have to be aware that Christ is coming back and that they will be judged by Jesus for how they pastor their people. That awareness that you are under the authority of Christ and you have to give an account to him is part of what makes a pastor um, able to have authority in a healthy way. So when you find a pastor like that, you've found a treasure. I've known a couple of pastors like that in my life, and let me just tell you from experience, it has nothing to do with the size of the church they pastor. Because <laughs> I've known pastors of huge churches that have been horrible, and I've known pastors of tiny churches. In fact, a lot of the pastors that I know personally in Boston, I would go to their church, and I would send my kids there. When you find a pastor like that, you find a treasure. Here's the fourth thing I want to point out, and normally I only point out three things, but this thing was like so important. You can't leave this out, because this is in the text. Here it is. Ready? Jesus is the shepherd or the pastor of the church. The sheep belong to him. Peter ends his text by reminding all of us that there is a chief shepherd and his name is Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself said this in John 10. Jesus once said, I, speaking about himself, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Both pastors and their people are under the authority of Jesus. And what a beautiful place to be because this shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You know, in the whole history of the world, I don't know how many shepherds have actually died for their sheep. You know, it's like, okay, we might lose one, but I'm not, at least I'm not gonna. This shepherd loves you so much. His heart is so tender towards you. He cares so deeply about you that he lays down his life for you. The scriptures say in Isaiah that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. 
Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you hear the beauty of that? Every one of us is a sheep that's wandered off looking for a little bit of greener grass, looking for something that's going to make us happy or make us satisfied, (laughs) and we've wandered away. But all of our sin and failure and shame and humiliation was all placed on him. The iniquity of us was laid on Jesus. All sheep, we are all sheep that belong to him. Now listen, if you don't know that good shepherd, having a relationship with a pastor is not going to help you. You need to know the good shepherd. And I'm going to pray at the end of the message today and give you a chance to put your faith in Jesus, to have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, because he died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and he rose from the dead so you could have freedom and hope and eternal life. And so I'll pray at the end and give you a chance to make that decision today. So pastors should be respected because of their position, but they are not Jesus Jr. Pastors need Jesus. We all need Jesus. If Jesus is the head, we're all just body, which means that I need Jesus too. I'm one of Jesus' sheep as a pastor. I need God's grace so I don't blow up my life. You need God's grace so you don't blow up your life. And if you want to get unstuck and grow spiritually, you've got to take advantage of the grace that God offers you right in front of your face every day. And that means, that means putting yourself in a position where you can benefit from your pastor's ministry. So when you leave here today, you got to think about this. When we walk, when, you know, when, when you turn this off or you pulse up Instagram on your phone after this or whatever you're doing after this, if you just know of a pastor, I, I don't know that that's going to help you. If you, if you don't, if you just know somebody, you're like, I could call that pastor if I needed to get married Someday, God willing, Lord, let it be so. Send that man in 2021. I claim it in Jesus' name. Go. You know, it's like, or if just somebody who, who would marry us or if there was a funeral, then I'm not sure that that's exactly what, what, the, what the text has in mind here today, what Peter's driving at in the word. You gotta put yourself in a position to benefit from your pastor's ministry. So here's what I wanna do. I want to share with you the pastors that I've had over the years and what I've learned about benefiting, putting myself in that position to benefit from their ministry. And so I'm gonna share a few of my pastors with you. Pastor Dan was a Texan who was personally outsized and he had a personality to match. He had zero need to be a celebrity pastor. He was the same guy, whether he was in a church plant of 40 or a church of 5,000, and he pastored both those churches. I eventually worked for him, and so I learned a lot from him. But when I first met him, I didn't know Jesus. I was a 17-year-old punk kid who partied too much on the weekends and lived a radically self-centered life. And I had a relationship with Dan because I played football with his son, and, I, and so I knew him, and I knew that he was wise, and he was, he was a kind guy. But when I went to his church, here's what I learned from Pastor Dan. I learned that I needed a relationship with the Good Shepherd. Having a relationship with a pastor is no substitute for knowing Jesus because a good pastor will point you towards Jesus, but it's Jesus who's going to change your life. A good pastor will point you to Jesus, but oh, it's the good shepherd. When you learn to hear his voice and you learn to follow his voice, that your life really changes. So, 
today, like I said at the end, I'm going to give you a chance to pray if you don't have that relationship. So that's what Pastor Dan taught me. My next pastor was Pastor Garland. He was the youth pastor at the church where I came to faith. He laughs easily. He laughs often. And and a lot of times he was laughing at you. He was just so full of joy. He was radically generous with his personal finances. And he had a way of simplifying Christianity down to its essence that was so helpful for me as a 17-year-old kid. And here's what I learned from him. I learned that if I'm going to put myself in a position to grow spiritually, I have to attend church consistently. When I, when I was first came to faith in Jesus, I started going to that youth ministry every single week, and, and Gar, Pastor Garland would give like a 15-minute message. It wasn't long, but through the, the repetition and hearing and learning, it changed my life. I stopped partying. The, the self-centeredness in me was destroyed by Jesus. My relationship with my mom changed and, and improved in just amazing ways because that consistency, I was putting myself under his preaching. I was putting myself under the word, and Jesus was changing me. So I learned if you want to grow, I have to attend church services constantly. And you know, it's those daily disciplines and those daily decisions and those weekly things that you do that shape you profoundly over the long run. And maybe it's time for you to make that commitment in your life. Maybe you went to church as a kid because your parents made you go, but you're an adult now and it's time for you to say, you know what, God, between me and you, I'm gonna be at church when the doors are open. Unless I'm traveling and out of town and I watch online, like I'm gonna be there because I need that grace in my life. And so when you attend church services consistently, you put yourself in a position to benefit from your pastor's ministry. And let me tell you a secret. You ever heard a sermon, you've been sitting in the, you sit in the chair, you sit in the pew, you're watching online, and the pastor's talking about something, and you think to yourself, oh my goodness, so-and-so needs to hear this. Sarah needs to hear this. Ben needs to hear, like, that person, I wish they would hear that. Let, Let me tell you a little secret. Pastors, we think the same thing about you all the time. Because we know the people in our churches, and, and we, we work so hard to bring the word into your life in a transformative way. And there will be times where we're talking about, like, receiving forgiveness or, or understanding grace or, or living with wisdom or making decisions. And we think to ourselves, oh, I wish that person were here to hear this. It would change that person's life so much. But you don't benefit from it unless you put yourself in that position and attend. So there was Pastor Dan, Pastor Garland, and then there was Pastor Mark. Pastor Mark stepped into my life after I'd been a baby Christian for a while. And I played video games at his house with his son, because we were the same age, endlessly. And he decided that he wasn't going to waste that relationship. And so he mentored me. And he taught me about family and what it really means to follow Jesus. And he fixed my, my broken doctrine. And he, he helped me make wise decisions and helped me abandon sinful habits. And what I learned from Mark was just this, that if I'm going to grow from a pastor, I have to step out of anonymity. You got to take a step. You know, some people expect pastors just to scan Facebook endlessly for people going through things and then reach it. Like, you got to take a step. If you need prayer, let us know. We love it. Can I just tell you, as a church staff, we love praying for our people. It is like we do it every single week when the prayer requests come in. We pray for you. We love it. Or maybe you're going through a uniquely tough time and you're stuck. Like, as you know, a pastor can't fix your problems, 
but a wise pastor can at least point you in the right direction towards healing and hope and remind you of who you really are and what God's really doing in your life. You know, some of that can come from community group leaders and wise friends. It doesn't have to be a pastor. But if you're getting really stuck, you can reach out because we're here for you. But you've got to step out of anonymity. And in fact, you know, I would also say this part of this is being a church member too. Stepping out of anonymity and saying I'm going to commit to being a part of the church. Did you know that our church has a care list for the members of our church? And many of you have been on the care list and didn't know it. And we were praying for you and reaching out to you. Because it could just be that you lost, you lost your job or you're going through a tough time or we're a little concerned. or you, you know, It's been a rough patch in your life. And so we pray for you. We watch you. We check in on you because we love you. But you've got to step out of anonymity. If you check into the service today, you'll get information on next steps. And next steps helps you step out. Um, me and Nicole are there on Zoom. It's a screens on kind of thing. So you got to do your hair. You got to get out of your jammies for a few minutes. But that's the whole point. You meet some people and take some steps. And here's one last pastor that I want to mention to you, and then I'll be done for today. This is the last thing we're going to talk about. The last pastor I want to mention is a little different from the first three because his story has a bitter ending. His name was Pastor Todd. I worked for him. He was quick-witted. He was creative. He was an amazing storyteller. And Pastor Todd helped hundreds of people grow spiritually and find life in Jesus. But he also had some deep wounds in his soul from his childhood that he responded to out of sin instead of out of faith. He he struggled to let people in or let people know what was going on in his life. And that inability to let people in meant eventually his sin completely overtook him. And a lifetime of those decisions caught up with him and Pastor Todd passed away while he was pastoring the last church that, that I was a part of. And there were a lot of people who were hurt by that. I was one of those people. Now, the great thing about knowing Jesus is that I have absolute confidence that Todd, Pastor Todd, is in Jesus' presence right now. And some of those hurts deep down in the core of his soul, they're healed now. Because the touch of Jesus can heal anything in your life. But knowing Pastor Todd, the lesson that I walked away with is that I've got to pray for my pastor. Because pastors are people too. Pastors need Jesus too. Pastors need the grace of God too. We need your prayers. We need your prayers for guidance and direction. We need your prayers to stay spiritually spiritually passionate and and just just blown away by the greatness and glory of God because the, the, the truth is that the danger of pastoring is that God becomes a job and that will kill your soul. You've got to pray for your pastor no matter who they are, no matter where they are because they need your prayers. Prayers for spiritual protection, prayers for effectiveness, prayers that they would see the word clearly and speak it boldly prayers that they would have the hard conversations with grace and gentleness and firmness and truth. You got to pray 
for your pastor. You know, church, I, sometimes pastors complain that being a pastor is the hardest job in the world. It's not. There are, there are people who go into work nine to five and work, work as miners underground or work thankless jobs and have horrible bosses. And I get the joy of leading people to Jesus. But I'll tell you this, I covet your prayers. And I know that you pray for me. And it has drawn my heart to you because I know how much you care. Now we're going to end the service today with prayer. What better way to end? And I, I talked specifically to some of you saying that if you don't know the good shepherd, having a relationship with, with the pastor of the church is not going to, to benefit you if you don't know Jesus and hear his voice. So I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me and commit your life to him. And maybe wherever you are, you need to get down on your knees in front of the TV screen or, you know, right there at your desk or wherever you're watching. And yes, your roommate's going to think you're strange. Maybe your cat already thinks you're weird. But you need to go because God is calling you today to run to him. So I want you to join me in prayer now. And we'll pray, God, I need you. I don't want to live on my own. I can't live on my own anymore because I have sinned and my sin is destroying my life. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross so that my sin could be forgiven and then he rose from the dead so I could have freedom and hope. I wanna follow Jesus. God, I place all of myself in your hands today and I wanna follow you for my whole life. In Jesus' name. Amen.